the more we can find a way to practice, to role play what happens in the real world if you do that thing. The faster your kid learns how to actually navigate the real world. And that's the difference between protecting your child and preparing your child to live in the real world. Welcome to the Raising Confident Teens podcast, where we talk about life and leadership with teens and their parents. I'm Hudson. And I'm Rachel. And on today's show, we're going to be talking with Aaron Huey. Aaron is the founder of Parenting Teens That Struggle and the host of the number one parenting podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, which is Mental Health News Radio Network's highest rated show internationally. He has 20 years of working with parents of teens that struggle Teens in recovery from trauma, anxiety, depression, mental health struggles, self-harm, drugs, technology abuse, trafficking, and suicide attempts. In 2019, his residential program, Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, was named one of the top 50 healthcare providers in the United States, and in 2020, named one of the top 100 innovators in healthcare. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thank you so much, Hudson and Rachel. Happy to be here. Thank you for giving me a chance to talk to your audience. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming. So what were you like as a teenager? (laughs) I was, am, extremely ADHD. Uh, I could not sit still. I did not focus on one thing at a time. I focused on a minimum of eight things at a time. Uh, I was not a good student. I was not an eager student, nor was I a diligent or disciplined student. And uh, school was really difficult. I am very happy to say that my mom and my bonus dad were uh, very progressive as far as their parenting style. Um, And so I had a lot of opportunity with them to really explore who I was and, and what I liked to be. And there was still a strong sense of discipline in my home. I started using drugs when I was 12 and that continued a little bit into high school, but it was when I left high school, I almost didn't graduate, uh, but I went to acting school. I didn't go to college. I went to a trade school. And while I was in acting school out in California, I was sexually assaulted. Now, that was like the ultimate straw that broke the camel's back as my biological father had abandoned me uh, at eight months old, um, never heard from him. I was bullied mercilessly, ADHD, not a good student. And, uh, you know, the, the, it, it was, I was very suicidal as a, as a younger kid. Um, so my, my teen years were not fun, but I had found myself on stage pretending it was, um, mm. and so, so, my adolescence was not fun and it capped off with just consistent cannabis, LSD and alcohol consistent. Uh, and I didn't get sober until I was 28 years old and a father and a husband. And I was pretty crappy at both of those very important jobs. So I did not have a good adolescence. So at 12, how did you, how were you introduced to drugs? neighbors down the street. Um, they, they had a little cave that I had helped them dig out above the railroad tracks near the golf course. And 
I was introduced it there, and the first time I walked in the door to my house, having tried pot, my mom sat me down and said, are you high? And I said, yeah. And she goes, what do you think? I said, I like it. She goes, don't let it run your life. And uh, it did. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard when your your brain is still developing to be putting that kind of stuff in there. Well, and and it also it was it was also one of those things. And people who drink and and become alcoholics, and people who cut and become self harmers, they we all have that same. There's a, there's a there's an experience where you do it. And you're like, well, that feels good. Like that feels better than. Than reality. Life. Yeah, than reality. And that I I had these words later in life and I didn't have them as a young man or as a teenager. But what I what I can say now about the experience was when I was high, I was happy. And when I was sober, I was suicidal. Now I had right. a bunch of brilliant people and loving people tell me, you gotta quit, you got a kid, you need to keep your job, you're married. The, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? And you, and they can't include cannabis or alcohol. And I was like, but I'm dead if mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, somewhere the brain switches what is toxic and what is nourishing. And it does that with cutting and it does it with gambling and it does it with pornography and it does it with eating and it does it with alcohol. And, and that's that addictive point that you flip over video games you name it, anything that becomes that maladaptive coping strategy, and you say, this is better than reality, and it becomes your reality, and then it really starts to suck. So it's like a, a form of escape. <sighs> yeah. You know, I had, a, I had a teenager I was working with. He was 17 years old. He was brilliant. His body had, had fallen out of shape. Um, he was up to 18 hours of video games a day and he came, he came to the facility and the mom was saying, I don't understand. He's, he's good looking. He's smart. He was, he's athletic. And now it's video games. There's no school. There's no grades. There's no nothing. And I asked the kid, I was like, well, take me back. Like, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And he goes, oh, that's easy. When I was five years old, my dad kneeled down in front of me and said, I'm doing this because of you. And he put a gun in his mouth and shot himself. Wow. And, I, and then I said, when you play video games, what video game do you play? And he goes, EverQuest. And I looked at mom and I said, in EverQuest, he becomes part of a team. He's got to go online with friends every night. They have missions. They solve problems. They have powers. They have weapons. They have money. And so here he is online with these powers and these strengths and these missions and he's saving the world every single night and he's got a group of friends. And when he goes to school, he's bullied for being overweight. He feels terrible because he's failing class and his dad has killed himself in front of him and he can't shake the memory. So which right. reality would you choose? Yeah, he felt powerless yeah. in his real world. Yeah, so it's never an intentional replacement. No child, no teenager says, man, one day I'm going to grow up and get high all day instead of having a job, being in a relationship, loving my family. It just, there's a point where, especially for people with mental health issues or trauma issues, or it just, it trades toxic and nourishing. They flip places and you can't tell the difference anymore. Yeah. I want to talk sp specifically about video game addiction yeah. because I'm in a lot of parenting groups uh, just because that's what, you know, like you, I'm in the parenting space and I like to see what people are talking about. And a lot of the parents are like, all my kid does is play video games. Sure. Um, I feel like this may be kind of like the acceptable addiction for teenagers. Mm-hmm compared to, you know, drugs, alcohol. But I, I feel like it is still very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So so based on what you see and, you know, and the kids you work with, what are your thoughts on this? Well, of all the things that I've dealt with in the last 20 years and working with kids at risk and beyond risk, helping them get back, working with their families, my first book, which we were just 
debating over the cover of today is video game dependency. Mm -hmm. It's massive. It's huge. And COVID exacerbated it a thousand. Um, About 60% of my current clients are video game dependent. Now let's let's first of all before we jump into video games and why and how they're attracting the brain, let's let's define addiction in a more open way. To me, addiction means I keep doing things to mess up my life and I can't stop. Not I won't stop, I can't stop. And there's a big difference because as parents, and I'm a parent too, I have a uh, 26 and a 27 year old, uh, so I've navigated that part. And my my son loved video games, and I loved watching him play. Um, and he he managed he managed very well. Um, but the the concept of uh, can't versus won't, right? Capability versus willingness. There right. is a point in addiction, in dependency, where we slide from capability to, sorry, from willingness to capability. We and parents often consequence with video games, self harm, drugs, and alcohol. You know, you just have to stop. You have to be willing to stop. You have to be, if you're dealing with depression and anxiety, you have to be willing to get out of bed and try to make the day. Well, that shows a lack of understanding around dependency, anxiety, uh, uh, depression. To tell someone with ADHD they need to focus is like telling someone without it that they need to be diffused focus. And, and you don't comprehend that. This is not, I'm not, it's not that I'm only willing to be ADHD. This is what I'm capable of. And if I don't right. know how to leverage it, then I'm in trouble. So that's dependency. So what we're dealing with is children sliding into dependency. Now, Video games truly only have one component that are addictive, and that's called the random reward generator, the loot box. When you're going along in a level and you come across a box that wasn't there before, and it's got new gear in it, a new gun, new armor, uh, some money, some healing, um, something. But it's right. randomly generated, and that stimulates the same part of the brain that's stimulated by ga- uh, uh, gambling. Dopamine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. What's that thing called where they you see it on the slot t- machine? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Where they pull where the Where they lip? pull it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. slot machine. Exactly. Exactly. That constant hoping that you're going to hit. You come around the corner, and there's the loot box, and you hit, and your brain goes, bah, 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 and you get some dopamine. And right. it becomes very addictive. Now. The fact that that's the only addictive thing, according to the current research, that doesn't mean that's the only extremely attractive thing. And what was amazing to me is that as I've worked with Dr. Daphne Earhart to write this book and worked with my clients, these boys and girls, these teenagers who are 15, 16, 18 hours of video games a day, they're not going to school. They're not living life. They're playing video games. Here's what we've learned. Number one, this is one of the most important, possibly even more important than the gambling piece. Your brain does not know the difference between what it's watching in a video game and reality. That doesn't mean that we don't comprehend that we're not in a video game or in a video game. That's too generic. What it means is the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by actual violence are being stimulated by video game violence. The same parts of the brain that are being stimulated by receiving fake treasure and reward are stimulated by receiving real money and real reward. They did research on this in the military, taking soldiers out of the field, our men and women of our, of our armed forces, who have just come out of combat, and they had measured their brain waves during combat and found out which part were being stimulated. Then they watched these same men and women play Call of Duty, and the exact same parts of the brain were stimulated. They took it farther, and they actually said to Olympic runners, wear this headset that's measuring your brain waves and win a race. They would measure the brain waves of someone winning a race. Then they sat these athletes in a chair and said, imagine winning right, a race. Right, Guess what? Yeah. 
Like, it's fascinating. So that's one of the most important things, is while this child is sitting in a chair, staring at a screen, and their body is completely inactive, the brain is fully activated. So that brain thinks it's having this adventure. That right. it's doing all these things, that it's building these worlds in Minecraft and solving these problems in these first-person adventure games. So it's not nothing. The brain is stimulated, and in fact, it's overstimulating. And that's why people, ch children with ADHD, are very attracted, because the video games are matching it. But then my research with my, with my own students started to go even deeper, where I said, okay... So we know it's stimulating, and we know the gambling aspects being triggered. But why do you keep coming back? And their answers were phenomenal. Their number one answer was, I can fail a thousand times and beat the level. I just mm. got to keep trying. And as parents, as teachers, we don't leave space for that. This failing forward concept is unbelievably attractive. And in fact, it is how the world works. But when yeah. we put a child in school, when we're consequencing a child at home, we don't leave a lot of space for failing forward. The second thing is they love controlled map access, where you can't walk down that certain hall until you go complete a side mission, and then the hall becomes open. That's called boundaries. And as I was seeing all of these things that these teenagers were attracted to, I was saying, but these are all things a parent could do. Yeah. And so in the book, we actually created a system of parenting based on how video games are attractive to an adolescent's brain. And that's one of the things that will be uh, coming out of the book. But those are, this is why. It's not just one thing like a bad attitude and they just need to quit. These games are, remember, they're designed by adults. They are created by adults, they are manufactured by adults, they are sold by adults, they're marketed by adults, adults buy them for their children, and then we get mad at the children for getting addicted. These games are designed, like social media, to hold your child's attention. Don't punish the child if you're losing it to something that brilliantly designed. Yes. Hey, I just want to make a little comment here for our listeners. Aaron is incredibly ADHD, and he is walking around while he talks. Is my camera on or something? How do you know that? Because your mic cut out, and we can tell you're walking around. Your mic goes in and out, in and out. But but you got good information, so I, I don't think it's that big a deal. All right, I just I'm wanted, standing still. I, I just know, because my husband is a little bit like that, and he cannot sit still, so I'm just like, I can just envision you walking. I am I'm absolutely pacing around my office. I can't believe this. I'm not embarrassed. This is my superpower, but right. it, does, it does infringe, I have to say. It does get in the way. I think it'll be all right. Um, so th that's fascinating to me, because... Yeah, I, I have learned so much by failing, and I always preach to my kids, you know, I'd rather you try it and fail at it than avoid doing it. That's um, life. Fail forward. Yeah, we don't, teach, we don't teach to mastery, which is what we should be doing. If you don't get it, we should just keep teaching it to you until you get it. We shouldn't give you an F and <laughs> make you go on to the next thing. Oh, masters are people who know how to fail gracefully and learn from it. Right. So, do you, would you say you have more boys than girls, or is it about the same that are struggling with this video game? With the video game, it's more boys, without a doubt. But I'll tell you what, this is very interesting. Um, throughout the years, my own personal client caseload, and at the facility, when our facility was open, uh, we had more boys during the summer and more girls during the winter. Because of depression? Not amazing. We're still trying to figure it out. I think it has to do with school and, and family pressure around the holidays. That girls start to feel the brunt of that. And parents start to say, there's no way my son's going to survive the summer. Whereas summer tends to be more of a relief for girls because mm -hmm. the social pressures are relieved. Summers are when boys blow sideways because they don't have that constant form and shape. But and when those holidays and, come around... Yeah. When those holidays come around and the new year comes around, 
All I have seen is girls are really struggling starting around October. That's interesting. Yeah. So Hudson had a question. He was mouthing to me a minute ago. Do you remember what you were asking me? I figured that. He was talking about them uh, doing video games 18 hours a day. Oh, yeah. How? (laughs) That's like six hours of sleep. I couldn't operate on that. Well, Hudson, what's brilliant about what you just said is that no teenager's brain is designed to, right? Yeah, no person. Yeah, you're sp- as a, as a as an adolescent, you should be getting between ten and twelve hours of sleep a night. Ahem, ahem, education system, um, <laughs> and we know this. Like the research on sleep is so clear, and yeah. the education system continues to chip away at a adolescent's evening and night and morning. And right. the truth is, is that school should be from ten o'clock to about three o'clock, but. You know. Yes. Yes, it should. <laughs> um, the how is the same level of insanity and disbelief that comes with drug abuse? How could you possibly choose that life? With self-harm? How could you possibly? Right? It's, it's We're trying to apply logic to dependency. And dependency yeah. defies logic. Addiction defies logic. It doesn't make sense until you get into the deep and dark of the brain chemistry. And the truth is, is that what they are getting, and I want Hudson, the way to think about this, and in truth, all human beings make decisions at the very core level based on two concepts, cost and payoff. Am I getting more out of this than it's costing me? And we either do that consciously or we make that choice subconsciously. And addiction works the same way. When I told you when I was high, I was happy. And when I was sober, I was suicidal. What I was saying was the payoff to using drugs was greater than the cost of staying sober. And it's the same with video games, going to school, homework, facing your parents, going to sleep, missing out, not finishing the mission, whatever it is, the brain goes, I'm going to get more by deprivation of sleep, good food, water, exercise, and light than I am by continuing to play this game. It's fascinating brain science. It is. Have you read Brainstorm? No. Uh, you got to read Brainstorm by Dan Siegel. <clears throat> He, he does a lot into the adolescent brain, and I, I'm reading that book right now. Um, so what's the solution to the problem? Do you just not allow them to do it? I, I mean, we Hudson plays some, but not... Not like... How, how much do you, would you say you play a week? I mean, I play a bit more on the weekends, but... During the school week, I don't normally play at all. Maybe like an hour and a half. And Hudson, that's phenomenal personal management. Keep it up. My son was the same way with video games. Like I'd buy him a new game. He'd obsess about it for three weeks. And then he'd be like, my back hurts. I'm going skateboarding. And he would go back (laughs) out and skateboard. Like, so we handled it. We didn't worry about it. He struggled with other things. My daughter struggled with things and handled other things. Right. And so it's a, this is about management and doing it consciously. We, we are never, none of us, not parents, not teachers, not adolescents, none of us are successful accidentally. There's no such thing. Because the moment, even if accidental cess shows up, it's only going to show up for a moment. To keep it, you got to be extremely purposeful. So Hudson, your next step is just being very purposeful about, all right, it's weekend. I can play as long as I want. And... I need some vitamin D. So I'm going to go outside in a few hours. And when you can actually do that, that's discipline. And that's amazing. Does it matter like at what age they were introduced to video games? You know, that's amazing because the, the research is saying that what we allow toddlers, what we allow children, what we allow teenagers, and what adults do, we are so far above and beyond what the optimal hours of screen time are, every last one of us. And and so it, it literally cancels out the idea that the research is valid, not because it's invalid, but nobody's doing it. I imagine the researchers themselves were spending all day in front of a screen 
finding as much information about the stuff. But literally, they are, they are saying no screens until three. None. Right. Zip, zero, zilch. And then when we get into Hudson, your age, they're talking like uh, an hour of social media after school is, uh, this is crazy. They're saying an hour of social media stuff after school is actually not bad because it's keeping you connecting. But the moment you're going past an hour, you are causing detriment. And, but the fact that you got to be online for school, you got to be online for social media, you got to be online for entertainment. None of us are following the rules. Not one of us. Yeah. I hate the fact that so many schools are turning into every kid gets a device. Computer, yeah. I'm like, this is not good. Well, but... ours is only high school. Yeah. But still you're on screen so much. Um, the, you, you asked about what's the cure. What's yeah. And is there? <laughs> yes. I mean, I recovered and my ADHD benefits me. It has to, right? The fact that I was an addict became my career. Like at some point, the wound either kills you or it becomes your way. The pain either kills you or it becomes your path. The tears right. either kill you or it becomes your trail. We say your mess becomes your message. <laughs> yeah, your wreckage becomes your resume, right? Right. Like, right. And so, but, but again, that's a conscious process. So that first and foremost, that's number one for every parent or teen listening, is that the cure is a consciousness process. Therapy is consciousness. Coaching process is consciousness. Recovery is consciousness because life is largely unconscious now. And right. what's so what I know for teenagers, I can't I can only speak to my experience as an adult, but 20 years helping parents help their teenagers recover. It starts with the parents recovery. It does not start with the teenagers changing so that the parents are happy. Any parent whose happiness is predicated on their child's behavior is lost. And then the child becomes responsible for the happiness of the home. Let me say those words again. The child becomes responsible for the happiness at the home. That's an impossible task for anyone under the age of 28 to become the sole responsibility for happiness for their parents, their siblings. So if the parents don't do the work first, if the parents don't lead the way, if the parents don't look at everything they've done and say, okay, as parents, it got us here. Whatever here is, I'm not going to call it enabling and I'm not going to call it codependent because I hate those concepts. I'm going to say everything we did got us here. Right. And if we want to get away from here as adults, we have to do something differently. I can understand, like, like a lot of parents didn't know, you know? I remember when we were kids and video games came out, nobody really knew the implications of, you know, long-term use, you know, and, and I did it when I was a kid and I'm all right, you know, so a lot of parents don't know, but once they know, then, then, then you need to make a decision of what you're going to do with what you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the consciousness process, right? Right, right. Is, is you have to know, but here's the thing, the parent, this is where the parents make their first mistake is they go, well, I got to know everything about what my kid's going through. No, you need to change. You need to change your parenting. You need to change how you talk about the situation. You need to change how you talk about your kid. You need to change how you look at the situation. You need to become conscious of how you've been parenting. Because the moment we say, and I understand, and it's the first reaction. Well, my kid's playing too much video games. I need to learn more about video games in my kid's brain. No, you actually need to start going to yoga class regularly and take care of yourself so that when you do talk to your kid, you're coming from a really healthy space because otherwise you're just coming from a reaction. If life is a tree and we're dealing with the fruits only and we're mad that our children's tree is producing apples and we thought we planted an orange tree and you're mad at the fruit, you got you to gotta get down to the roots and the roots of the issue are prime influencers. And that's not your kid's group of friends. That's not the video game or social media. That's the child watching the parent come home and say, oh, I've had such a hard day at work and open the fridge, grab a beer and binge watch Netflix for three hours. Right. That's parental addiction behavior. 
Yeah. And every parent has to start to come aware to say, okay, A, what am I modeling? What are my true values? And because I'm afraid of my child's progress or lack of thereof, how am I parenting out of fear, fatigue, or fury? Because that's where we start to screw up as a parent. We stop sleeping because we're stressed, and then we try to be a parent. We get angry, and then we try to be a parent. Or we're terrified, and then we try to be a parent. Nothing, what I say is, from survival parenting, fear, fatigue, and furious, your best parenting from those three Fs are your worst parenting. Your worst parenting from a prefrontal cortex, empathic, uh, a transparent, loving place is your best parenting, right? We have to, as parents, before we ever try to step into a crisis situation, we have to make sure we've taken care of ourselves first. Because if we haven't, how on earth can we take care of our kids? I, I guess the first step would be to becoming more conscious of what you yourself are doing. Self-care. Right. How do you, this is my struggle. Um, I would rather not. I, I like, I'd hardly ever watch TV. I don't really like being on electronics. Um, we, we weren't raised with television um, in our house, um, which I'm grateful for now as an adult. But so much of my work is on electronics. So I feel like I do try to have a stopping point, you know, a couple hours before bedtime. So I'm not, you know, constantly on there. But like even as an adult, like even though, even though I don't want to be on it, I feel like I have to be on it. Yeah, we rationalize it, don't we? Well, because of work, you know, like oh, sure. I, I've got to do all that. And then, and then for some reason, in our adult-sized brains, we think that the children don't see their social media life as work. We're like, yeah, but that's not work. It most absolutely definitely is. You, the, the, the key to this, and I, you, you, you want one of the, the top researched tool on avoiding at-risk behavior is family dinner. Yeah. That is the number one thing that A, pulls your kid back from the brink of risky decisions, and B, puts them in the green, the good, the great, and the whole family recovers. But what this means is a ritualized dinner time with absolutely no media except for music. That's the only thing you're allowed to bring in. Not music videos. Hudson, no, no YouTube. Hudson. I don't, no, I don't use YouTube at all. <laughs> we have, we do actually do family dinner. You're the second person that's talked on about this recently. Um, we do, we do make it a point every day. All of us sit down together and have dinner, and nobody's allowed to have their phone. We have to get on to dad sometimes, but. <laughs> Well, then, then all we got to say is, Dad, watch what you model. I know where right. it's important. So right. is social media. So is school. So are friends. So are everybody has their own line of what's important. And then as adults, we try to impose ours. No, my work is important. It's not more important than sitting down without the phone and connecting with your family. You right. want correction? Connection comes first. You want compliance? Uh, alliance comes first, right? You, everybody sits down, no phones no TV, you eat dinner, you have actual con conversation, and then at night, everybody, not the kids, everybody, the phones go in the kitchen, and they stay there till morning. Right. Everybody sleeps without them. You want to read? Pick up a book. Yeah. The second thing, I want to I give the second, third, and fourth thing. All right? So number one is family dinner. Number two is parents knowing their kids, friends, parents. Rachel, you and I were raised in an environment where our parents knew the other parents in the neighborhood. But right. see, now our kids go to school in different districts and we drive them there and we don't know who our kids' friends are because they're not the next door neighbor. Get to know them. And when something happens, the community becomes evolved because as adults, we love, oh, it's so pithy to say, well, it takes a village. Really? Then be part of one. Become yeah. one, start one, create one, do your part. 
The number th three thing is something for the kids, the teenagers to do between three o'clock and seven o'clock. They extracurricular activities. They have died a horrible death due to lack of funding and lack of interest, but idle hands do the devil's work. So three o'clock to seven o'clock. The last thing is the real honest to goodness, real and for true information about what's going on in the brain. Not scare tactics, not scared straight tactics, not dare tactics, not tough love, but parents really understanding what video games do, what cannabis does. Is it a, as addictive as heroin? No, of course not. Stop making such a stupid comparison. But if you don't know what anandamide is, and you don't know how the THC molecule copies it, then you don't know why cannabis is addictive. And you're going to spend all your time going on Google showing me 3 million pages about how weed is the elixir of life. And in fact, it happens to be addictive. And if you can argue that, then you don't know what anandamide is. And when you find out what neuromodulators do, you'll start to understand the real and for true. But it ain't crack, it ain't fentanyl, it ain't heroin, but it ain't innocent. Right. Yeah, especially to a developing brain. <laughs> Not only that, but then we also have to understand depression. We have to understand anxiety, that these are not excuses, that these are not something that someone's doing to avoid something. This is the brain's chemistry malfunctioning. And if you consequence it, if you get annoyed by it, you're going to make it worse. And this is hard. This is what I mean by the honest to goodness, real and for true, what is going on in your brain and your child's brain. Those are the four things that help people recover. So do you think that teens are less resilient now than they were 20 years ago? Yes and no. That's, that's one of the most powerful and popular questions I get asked. But we've got we've to really take a look at the generations prior. I'm Gen X, and I was born in 69. And I see a lot of Gen Xers saying, oh, we were, we were just tougher. We had thicker skin. You know, we also had a game called Smear the Queer. And the, the, things change. Mm -hmm. Things are inappropriate. And we learn things about things. And right. we have learned more about the brain in the last 30 years than we did the prior 300. Yeah. And in these last 30 years, one of the things that we've come to understand is what trauma actually is. And for people of older generations, boomers, Gen X, to say that we are tougher than this generation is to make a statement about the speed of human development. And all of a sudden it's changed. And that's absolutely not true. The, the, the speed of, at which a human brain develops and a human body develops hasn't changed for thousands of years. What we've done is recognize what's actually affecting change. Yeah. And as a Gen Xer, I can say we dealt with a lot more trauma by not dealing with it at all and yes. are walking around totally wounded. Yeah. So I was just we, thinking that oh. myself when you were saying that. I'm thinking, I was, I was going to say... Um, yeah, but there was a whole lot more dysfunctional people. Oh, I mean, like, not dealing with their dysfunction. Nobody was dealing with it. We still yeah. thought that if you saw a therapist, you were crazy. Yeah. Like, that that meant, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Just shake that, it off. Yeah. 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 Pull it, bootstraps, you know, yeah. just tough it out. Just walk it Rub off. Rub some dirt in it. <laughs> yeah. Pour some bleach on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's ridiculous because that's not how the brain develops by by rubbing dirt on them. Well, the, and then they grew up, those people grew up and became parents and there's, you know, no connection, no relationships, not, not healthy, I would say, do you know for the most else, part. You know what else we did as Gen Xers? One of our reactions to being told to walk it off is that we decided we didn't want our millennial and Gen Z children to feel the way we felt. And so we started celebrating them a lot more 
you know, we started creating graduation ceremonies for every grade. We started giving them ribbons and trophies for showing up to the game. And then we wonder why they can't handle the discomfort of loss. Right. We taught them. I don't hold the millennials responsible for saying, you got trophies, whatever. You were giving to that to them. Dad. Yeah, it's like, like they swung the other direction too far. Right. And my wife once said to me when we were talking about this, she goes, 180 degrees of sick is still sick. And 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 I agree with that because somewhere in the middle of this, but, but this is, let, let's get back. See, there's my ADHD brain right there. Squirrel. But here is the, um, here's the key. Are they more resilient? They're no more or less resilient than we are. We are just more aware of what resiliency, what creates resiliency, and they are having to deal with a lot more. And I'm going to give you two case in points. Rachel, um, did you spend a lot of time at the library, the public library as a kid? Mm, yeah, I did okay. actually. <laughs> Me too. I did. I did. That I was booted out of the house and said, go to the library. And that's where we all met and we read books and I came home with stacks of books and on and on and on. Now, t sending a kid to the library is something that we do on a daily basis because the internet is the sum total of human knowledge right now. However, if the public library, if three out of every 10 books at the public library was hardcore pornography, would you send your child? Right, no. Absolutely not. But the internet is 30% hardcore pornography. 30%. That's a massive number. And the kids have to navigate that. So they are way more resilient and handling it as good as we think they should, as, as we think they could. Number two, Rachel, did you and I ever have to do a live shooter practice drill? No. Yeah, we didn't. And these kids do. And it is so how can we possibly compare our generation's tenacity to this generation's tenacity when we have never had to deal with what they're dealing with? Some right. of these kids, their entire life, their country has been at war. There has been a global pandemic and on and on and on. School shootings. Politicians can't agree. Politics, the face of politics is changing, and adults can't agree on how things should be. And the children are watching, and you talk about trickle-down economics. Talk about emotional trickle-down economics of adults acting like buttheads around each other when we can't agree on who should be president. Right. And they're having to watch us navigate this and then still pull up by the bootstraps and go to school? Give me a break. Right, yeah. So the truth is, is that human development hasn't changed. So they are no more or less. So no, they're not. And they're dealing with a heck of a lot more than we did. So yes, they are more resilient. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's good perspective. What would you say, like, uh, you, you have a parent who's like, my kid is struggling with this, you know, um, we're battling you know, video games or any other kind of dependency behavior, what would be your your top two or three things to tell them to do? Take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third. Because every You can't tool, pour from an empty cup. <laughs> yeah. Can't pour yeah. from an empty cup, put on your own oxygen mask, can't give someone a drink from your empty cup, um, on and on. All those wonderful sayings we... We love them. We love to throw them at each other, but rarely do we apply them to ourselves, right? Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that how good of a parent can you be if you aren't taking care of yourself? And what are you modeling? When things are going bad, when you're feeling stressed, what do you model? It, it was hard to not feel guilty to model to my two children and my wife to model to our, our children, self-care first. I'm stressed. Yeah. I need to go take a walk. I need a minute to just sit outside. I need to go to a yoga class. We'll deal with this later. Right. Because it felt like we had to deal with it in the moment or we were being bad parents. 
Dr. Spock lied to us. We, we, we actually... All I can think of is Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Spock wrote a parenting book when I was a very, very young child. And it's wrong. It's wrong. We don't have to deal with things immediately. We can take a moment to breathe. We can take two minutes to stand outside and go through the rage, the fear, the, the, the stress, and then get back to our prefrontal cortex. We can go to a yoga class because the problem's still gonna be there in an hour, but an hour later I've stretched and I've sweated and I've breathed. The problem can wait because I can sit with my parenting partner or my ex and say, I just need to vent. I don't need to come up with a solution. I just need some support and vent and then get that emotional thing out of the way. We, we forget to take care of ourselves. But as my wife and I modeled that, now that I see both my kids in their mid-20s, when something happens, you know what they do? They take care of themselves. And it, this long-term investment of self-care has paid off. And that's hard in the moment because we are all bred and trained to react in the moment, to get mad first and then think later. Get mad, but don't parent mad. You can say, I'm really mad. But if you start screaming, the child's gonna focus on the screaming, not their strategy. And by the way, that is the thing that the kids loved second most about video games is that it forces them to focus on a strategy. And if the strategy doesn't work, Hudson, if you turn right every time you respawn and you get killed immediately, what do you do the next time you respawn? You turn left. Yeah. And you know what the video game does is it teaches you that lesson without screaming at you about how things used to be or what you need to think about or I'm so disappointed or I can't believe you didn't. The video game just sets you back and says, try again. Okay. And you focus on your strategy, not the huge emotional reaction of, and even, and I watch videos of it, and, and I'm sure you've seen them, Hudson, some kid, and something happens in the video game, and they lose their minds, but they keep playing. Not the ones who smash their systems, right? They deserve what they get, right? But the ones who go, oh, come on, blah, 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 but they keep playing, and they just change their strategy. Guess what? That's exactly how life works. And if a parent comes in with a consequence and it's all about the emotional consequence, it's all about the emotional leverage. Well, as these kids get older, your emotional leverage gets less and less because they start to develop their own. And then pretty soon it's just emotional leveraging arguments. Instead of saying, hey, that's a boundary, try again. Hey, that's a boundary. Try again. Hey, that's a boundary. Try again. Turn and this way. You're going to get shot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the more that the parent consequences mimic the reality of life, the more we can find a way to practice, to role play what happens in the real world if you do that thing the faster your kid learns how to actually navigate the real world. And that's the difference between protecting your child and preparing your child to live in the real world. And that switch, moms and dads, has to take place around 12 years old. You gotta start little by little in fun game ways and then more and more serious as they become t older teenagers, move from protecting them from the world, because let's be honest, every child needs to be protected from this world. It's dark and it's scary, and 30% of the internet is hardcore pornography. But when they start to hit 12 years old, you gotta find ways to say, okay, if you act like that when you're working at Taco Bell, here's what happens. So we're gonna find a way to mimic that consequence here at home. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. We're, we're creating adults. We don't want our kid to be, you know, 30 years old and acting like a three-year-old. <laughs> well, then the adults got to stop acting like four years old, right? Yep. And, and honestly, online, I don't see any difference between the kids' behavior and the adults' behavior. I see bullying. I see racism. I see sexism. I see classism. 
I see the same things that those, oh, those terrible teens, Hudson, you and your guys, you need to learn how to have ethics on the internet. Coming from yeah. adults who do and say whatever they want out there. Yeah. And my fear is not for the children. My fear is for the parents who have to face their children and own up to the parents' childish behavior. Right. Good points. So, um, where can people find you, Aaron, if they want to? I'll give you three places stuff. if that's okay. Uh, okay. First one is my podcast, Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, you can find it wherever you find podcasts. Uh, about 250 episodes in. None of it is just me ranting. Uh, it's all of me bringing the experts in on uh, teens and parenting. Um, that's Beyond Risk and Back. I'm hosted on Podbean, and I love Podbean, by the way. Um, the second place you can find me is on Facebook at a private group called Parenting Teens That Struggle. Uh, you go answer a couple questions and I'll let you in. It's moderated by me and my daughter. The third place is I have a parenting masterclass that right now, because we just won a telly award uh, for non-broadcast non educational. Um, we got the silver award for non-broadcast educational. And it is 56 self-paced parenting courses, and it's $37, because I'm so excited. We just want to tell you, I want every parent to get their hands on it. And you can find that at brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. And of course, Brab stands for Beyond Risk and Back. So the podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, the Facebook group, Parenting Teens That Struggle, and the Parenting Masterclass at brabapp.com. Awesome. Yeah. The Telly Award is a big deal for you guys that don't know. Uh, my brother's in television, so I, I, I've heard of it before. But, um, we got a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of us. It's, it's, a good, it's a good course. And I want, I want everybody to be able to afford it. I, don't, I, yeah. I, don't, I want every parent to get love and support and help with their kids. Because parenting's hard work. None of us were taught how to do it. And all we're going off of is what our parents did. Or didn't do and all we're doing is what they did or doing what they didn't right. and that's not enough let's get conscious we can never be a good parent accidentally that's good thank you so much for coming on the podcast aaron rachel and hudson thank you guys hudson good job managing yourself man i will tell you what that is the key to leadership and success is personal management stay at it uh thank you for He's too embarrassed to <laughs> answer you. Um, if you enjoy our podcast, we would love it if you would leave us a review. Uh, just scroll down on our page on your podcast player and you'll see ratings and reviews. You can tap the stars to rate. And then just below the reviews, you can write a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find us. Have a great week.